Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Tony Katz, so good to be with you. I can't believe I have to start with Bernie Sanders, but I just got something on Facebook that's so completely insane that I'm going to have to do it. I'm starting with Bernie Sanders. That's no way to start. I'm going to start with beer. Hold on a second. Ah, oh, this is actually happening. This is the Sam 76 from Sam Adams. And the story with Sam Adams is that uh, Jim Coke, the, the founder, the brewer there at Sam Adams, you, if, if you're old school, you remember the commercials, right? He had a meeting with President Trump and a few other people, and he was talking about how important the tax cuts have been. The value of the tax cuts. That what they the tax cuts have done is the tax cuts have allowed their business uh, to, to, to work better because they had to go up against, especially in the beginning, all of these um, foreign-made beers. You know, they were the original brewer, if you will. That's how they like to phrase it. And now, now America makes the best beer in the world, which I, I, could, I could argue they make great beer. Oh, they make great beer. Some of the microbreweries, at least where I am. Indiana, incredible stuff. Oh, so good. And now that we've got a competitive corporate tax rate, it, 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 we can really kick ass. That's what he said. That's what he said. So there are mayors in Massachusetts. You know, they're Boston beer. Uh, there are mayors in Massachusetts who say they won't drink Sam Adams anymore. People saying, oh, I'd rather drink Coors. Well, all right. All right, that, that's fine. You want, you want to drink uh, the High Life? Well, it's Miller High Life. What's Coors? It's the, the Golden Banquet. What, what is, what is uh, uh, Coors? The original Coors is called something. Uh, is it the Banquet Beer? No, it's not. It's, and it's with the Rocky Mountain water. But what's Coors called? A core, a core's banquet beer. That, that's that, that's it. If you look at the, if you look at their, their can, right? Their, their, their sweet, sweet loving can. I think that's what it says on it, right? Banquet beer. Um, and uh, it's born in the Rockies is one of their other, their other things, right? Uh, so these people, they know they'd rather drink course. This is crazy. The tax cuts were good for a business that's based in your state, and they may grow because of it. What's what's so wrong with that? Why can't we just have a society where people are like, you know what? Okay, that worked. You could still hate Trump. Why can't you just admit that the thing worked? It's so easy to do. The tax cuts helped. Changing the corporate tax rate helped. So why are you somehow so incredibly afraid to say so? Because if you do, you'll be giving Trump credit and you just can't give Trump credit? That's that that is that is psychopath talk. Let me see if I can find this. Where it's, uh, it's Bernie Sanders, the socialist from v- Vermont, the, the senator, and and he is on uh, with with Stephen Colbert. Right, he's on Stephen Colbert's show, and he's talking about why it's important to be a socialist and and how socialism is really uh, accepted by the, by the people. Well. We have an out-of-control capitalism. I don't even know what that means. Where the greed of the people on top is really unbelievable. I mean, right now, right now in America, you got three people who own more wealth than the bottom 50% of the American people. You got the top one-tenth of 1% owning more wealth than the bottom 90%. You got one guy, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, his wealth is increasing every single day by $250 million a day, but he pays his workers, many of his workers, wages that are so low. 
that many of them are on food stamps or Medicaid. Now, that line there, food stamps or Medicaid, I said this earlier, get another job. Get another job. And I had someone write me, Neil wrote me, he goes, so your solution to income inequality is simply to go get another job instead of holding companies responsible for paying their employees a living wage. The living wage is not real. Oh, I don't want to scream. I don't want to scream. Just let it, just relax, Tony. Just breathe it through. The living wage is not real. It's a myth. It was a made up number. They decided that the living wage was $15 an hour. It's totally made up, Ari. What the hell are you talking about? It's made up. The $15 an hour is the living wage. That's what they say the living wage is. It's made up. They made it up. They picked a number out of their ass. That's what happened, right? This is what it is. Because you cannot, and there is no economist in the world who could take me on on the subject and win. You cannot make a definitive to the idea of the living wage. Because the individual is different. And the areas are different. The living wage in Waco, Texas is different than the living wage in Manhattan. End of list. This is why the concept is ridiculous. It's embarrassing and it's pathetic. How do I now, as as Neil asks, hold companies responsible for paying their employees a living wage? How do I hold them responsible? How do I, in a uh, in in this society, hold them responsible? What you're advocating for, and what you're explaining is exactly what the state does. Now you could talk about China and having state-run capitalism from now until the cows come home. It's communism. It is what it is. If you want the state determining the rate, go right ahead, but put an end to growth. It's not the way it works. Oh well, China has great growth. Oh yes. Oh, fantastic. And amazing and, and, and incredible. How much more cons- currency manipulation could one people do in order to sustain it? In the world that we live in, in a world of markets, you get to make choices. You get to have options. You get to choose your passions and follow your passions. You get to create and you get to set prices, not only for widgets that you might make and sell, but for the services that you offer out to the general people. Do you really want, because your word's not mine, do you really want others setting that rate for you? $15 an hour is not a living wage. As a matter of fact, there there should be no minimum wage. The minimum wage is a destructive force that hurts people and doesn't help people. Milton Friedman talks about this. Oh, he's long since passed, but he has talked about this quite a bit. Picture the scenario. The government, because they're here to help, decides that an employer must pay, uh, what is it now, $7.25? Is that the minimum wage? $7.25 an hour. They must pay $7.25 an hour. You are an employee with no skills whatsoever, but you're willing to show up every day. You have no skills. You're not worth $7.25 an hour to the employer. They need somebody who has a basic understanding of X, Y, and Z in order to make it worth their time to pay you $7.25 an hour. In a world where things make sense, you should be able to say to the employer, hey, I need, I, I, I can learn how to do this. If you teach me how to do it, I'll learn how to do it, and you can pay me less for, for the first six months while I learn how to do it, and I'll show you how good I am at it. I'll show you I'm going to show up every day, and then and then uh, you, you, can pay me, you can pay me more. 
They can't make that offer because the employer has the boot of government on their neck and they're unable to make a decision that would be best for the employer and the employee. The employee cannot get ahead because they can't learn the skills because they are right now unhirable because they have no skills and are not able to negotiate themselves a better opportunity. All because government wants to do good with a minimum wage. They're going to they're gonna show you. And now you want to talk about $15 an hour? See all those robots taking your order at McDonald's? There's your living wage, kid. That's what you get. Now, there is a, a touch of, of nuance to that argument, right? Because the, the automation is coming anyway. Um, uh, so, so there are some jobs that will be automated out. That's exactly what's going to, 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 to happen. It's going to be automated out. So you got to retrain into some other things, into some other places. But but uh, so so I've put an end now to the living wage nonsense. I've explained why the minimum wage is is devastating. It's devastating, and it's and it hurts who the most poor people. It hurts poor people the most because a minimum wage is telling them here this is what you get, and you don't ever have to work any harder, and this is what you get, as opposed to people being able to negotiate their best rate, negotiate their best opportunities, build themselves up. It's math, guys. I can't I can't help you. It's just math. But Neil continues, greed is very real. Now, this comes uh, from uh, me because uh, I, I have long been a, a proponent of this. Uh, or uh, is proponent? Is that? Yeah, it's good enough. Uh, greed is not real. Greed is not real. Greed is a myth. Greed is based on other people's observations and thoughts on those observations, but is in no way based in fact. So here's, here's the question. If, if, is, if Jeff Bezos develops a company, creates a want for the company, is now worth, what, 100 some odd billion dollars? Is that greedy? Is it greedy? Now, some people said no, and some people said yes, only proving that greed is not real. Greed is a term used by others who want to do you damage who want to shame you for whatever it is you have done or created or, or, or succeeded in. I do two radio shows a day, guys. I do mornings uh, uh, on, in Indianapolis uh, on WIBC, 6 to 9, and I do, I do middays. All right, I have this show that we're trying to push out uh, to, uh, to the Midwest, maybe to the country, perhaps the world, right? Question, am I greedy? Or am I a guy who's driven and focused and worked my ass off and worked for nothing and spent four and a half years not getting paid in this business so I could have opportunities and find opportunities and put myself in the place to get opportunities to get to here? And I sure as hell ain't giving it up. There's no such thing as greed. Greed is a, is, 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 is a myth. And then he finishes by saying greed is capitalism's worst enemy. No, socialism is capitalism's <laughs> worst enemy because with socialism, you don't have any more capitalism. You see how that works? You see how that works? Just a little bit of thinking goes a long way. And I'm doing that while having a beer. <laughs> ah, I usually don't slurp that much, but, you know, it's, it's, it's radio. I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz, uh, my interview with Nick Searcy, the director of Gosnell Movie, that is coming up. Yes, Nick Searcy on Twitter. The story of Dr. Kermit Gosnell, this abortionist. 
Uh, abortion doctor or serial killer? <laughs> you decide. We have the conversation with Nick about the movie, what it took to make get the movie made, how many years it took to get distribution. And it, it's coming out soon. comes out October 12th, I believe it is. So we'll uh, we'll see how it's uh, responded to in, in, in theaters. Uh, we've got that interview uh, coming up in just a little bit. The Manafort trial, well, the defense is rested. They, 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 they basically, I think they called a witness. They did not put Paul Manafort on, on the stand. They said, all right, we rest. Because you, prosecution, you, government, you did not make your case. I find that really interesting. Um, that, that they think that there was no case made by, by the government. Now, the fact that they say it doesn't mean that it's true. You had Rick Gates, who's... So let me take a step back. Paul Manafort, former campaign chairman for President uh, Trump. Uh, you've got uh, Paul Manafort, who uh, was involved in, in dealings in Ukraine and other places, which there's nothing illegal about that, but he was charged with tax fraud, bank fraud and tax evasion. He also didn't uh, claim that he was representing certain nations, something that you have to do uh, when, you, when you're an agent of, of, of a foreign country. There's nothing illegal about doing that. There is when you don't properly report it. So the charges were bank fraud and tax evasion. Having nothing to do with collusion, zero to do with collusion, zero to do with President Trump, nothing whatsoever. Uh, and the, this, this, this trial had Rick Gates, who was Paul Manafort's partner and protege, where uh, Rick Gates said, yes, we engaged in multiple legal activities, we engaged in money laundering, we had fake accounts, we did this, we did that, and all the while Paul Manafort's staring at him and Rick Gates won't look at him. It was, I mean, it was something else to behold. Well, th- all of this comes out. I mean, Rick Gates, the protege, says, yes, we committed crimes together, we did the thing. Rick Gates even admitted to having you know, affairs, I had an apartment in London to keep it from my wife, the whole, the, 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 the whole thing. Well, the case is now ended. Manafort uh, brought to trial by uh, Mueller. Mueller, who, by the way, uh, raided his home at about 5 a.m., waking up him and his wife when that wasn't necessary, keeping him in solitary confinement when it's unnecessary, still in solitary confinement, when it's absolutely unnecessary. We were talking yesterday about the New Mexico compound. This guy, Siraj Wahaj, and four other associates kept 11 children as prisoners, tortured them, taught them how to shoot up schools, and that if the FBI came to the compound, how to shoot at the FBI. They were let out of jail with ankle monitors. $20,000 bond. They basically signed their way out. That's what happened with these five, because the judge, Sandra Backus, I believe is her name, said uh, the, 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 the prosecution or, or, or the charges don't prove that they're a danger to society. What the hell is that? What the hell is that? That is surreal. That is sick and twisted. Manafort, he is in solitary confinement, but a guy who was torturing children and, by the way, human remains of a child found on the property that may be this guy Siraj Wahaj's child, possibly killed in a, in a ritual. What were they, warding off the evil spirits or something crazy? It's insane. These five... Um, they, they, they have ankle monitors and they have to check in with their attorneys weekly. They're going to be gone. They're going to be gone. Guaranteed. Guaranteed or your money back. That's what's going to happen. 
So all of this that Mueller has done with Manafort, and what what do you have? Nothing having to do with collusion whatsoever. Nothing having to do with President Trump whatsoever. And you have 18 counts, 18 charges, to which you find out whether or not Manafort is guilty. Manafort doesn't even offer up a defense saying the government didn't prove their case. As I've been discussing, the question is, how many counts does Manafort have to be guilty of for this to be a success for Robert Mueller? Because if you charge him, he's got 18 counts against him, and you find him, for example, not guilty of 16 of the 18. If he's not guilty in 16 of the 18... Well, then, wasn't it all a waste of time? Wasn't it all a witch hunt? Isn't it all something that you could be like, what the hell is this? Wouldn't the American people say, all right, all right, Trump was right. This was crap from the very beginning. We're done here. We're done here and I forget it. Don't need any more of this. This is just ridiculous and pathetic. Oh, my God. What a waste of time. I'm not listening to these Democrats again. I'm just saying. All I'm saying is that you need to... uh you need to ask yourself, what is victory here? Because right now, I don't know. I can't tell you for the life of me what makes victory at this moment. Can't do it. Uh, there's also been a lot in the news about the church. I can't do the story of the priest anymore. I can't. It's so insane. Uh, 300 plus priests in Pennsylvania alone involved in abuse, sexual abuse of children as young as seven. They know that there are over a thousand kids. They think there are thousands of kids who have been abused over the years. And I'm really, I'm, I'm kind of uh, a bit of, I've, I cannot figure out what's going to happen to the church, right? I, I don't know how this affects the church, but there's this Michigan church, which is now apologizing uh, for uh, for an event that happened where uh, Ben Walls Sr the lead pastor of the Nas Church in Brighton, which is a suburb of Detroit, uh, apologized to Amy Marchant about an incident that happened June 17th. The incident, she was breastfeeding her one-year-old inside the church while she was waiting for her four-year-old twins to finish Sunday school. And uh, what was said, according to... Uh, this woman, Marchant, she got a Facebook message from a female church leader saying, of all the places, it is most hurtful when it comes from your own church that you are going to cause guys to lust after you. Uh, what, what, what? It's breastfeeding, people. Nobody lusts after the breastfeeding woman. Listen, listen, this, this is true. This is true. First of all, I don't know why we're so hung up on this. It's totally normal. That's what they're there for. That's why they exist. You you might enjoy them. They may fill out a sweater nicely, but that's not why they exist. They exist for keeping the, the, the species going. That's why they're there. What in the world are people so upset about and so freaked out about about breastfeeding? Now, I do believe in a certain level of cover-up, only in that I think it's it's healthier. <laughs> that's that's truthfully where I'm at. But the idea of, oh, if you're breastfeeding, you should have to go in the bathroom? What the hell? I wouldn't eat in a bathroom. A public bathroom? What are you, crazy? 
if I have a coffee or something, right, and, and I have to use the restroom, I, I, I need to be able to put it somewhere, have someone hold it. I won't bring it to the bathroom. If I bring a drink into a bathroom, that drink is going in the trash. That drink is gone. I can't drink that. That is gross. That Can you do that? Can you drink something in the bathroom? Oh, that's disgusting, Ari. That is disgusting. Oh, my God. Oh, that is great. No, no, no. I just, I, I just picture it. I just picture the air is in there. Yeah. That is not true. Wait, what did, you, what did you just say? I eat my cereal in the bathroom every morning. I don't understand what that even means. I mean, like, so, like, I put my contacts in. I'm brushing my teeth. Like, I'll have my bowl of cereal there just, like, sitting there. And, you know, in between things I'm doing, I'll take a bite. So, you know. Oh, my God. That's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. It's not that That bad. is, that is, that, ho- ding, fries it done, ding, fries it done. That is awful. Do you really? That is so gross. It's not like I'm urinating in them. That is so gross. Now, I will admit the only thing, it's your home bathroom. You're, oh, yeah, I would only hope you're not urinating in them. Good. Nice to make sure everybody has that I part wanted clear, to clarify, yeah. That, that you're not a guy taking a whiz in your cornflakes. I mean- Good on you. All right, it's your bathroom, but you would never, you would never eat in a public bathroom, would you? I, I mean, it's pretty gross that you that you eat cereal. Like in the if I had a hot pocket and I walked into like a public bathroom, no, you I would, would not continue eating the hot pocket. Yeah. First of all, why are you eating a hot pocket? Why do you hate yourself, I, it, Tony? I just what is wrong the first with thing you? I thought of. A hot pocket. Ooh, you suck. That's disgusting. Oh my god. So first, where are you at that you're walking around with a hot pocket? Like, I want to understand it's what happened in your example. life. All right, it you're was- walking around with a hot pocket. It's a bad example. It was the first place you went to. You know, Tyler like had an orange whip at the mall. I want to tell you, it totally made sense. No, you've got a hot pocket that you had to warm in a microwave. Where'd you get the microwave, man? Holy cow! Guys, not on frozen hot pockets. With one hand. Using the other hand, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz. 833 Got Tony is the number. A while ago, quite a few years ago, when I lived in Los Angeles, there was a conversation about the Gosnell movie. Kermit Gosnell, the abortion doctor. We're talking about Philadelphia. We're talking about horrors on horrors. The abortion, not clinic, mill that he was running. And there was an idea to take this story and turn it into a movie. It took crowdfunding. It took the people to get behind this movie. A story, by the way, of uh, a serial killer in Dr. Kermit Gosnell that nobody would report. And the movie took shape when actor, award-winning actor, uh, TV's Justified, uh, Three Billboards Outside, uh, Ebbing, Missouri, a whole host of films, Nick Searcy took the helm as the director. This film has now secured its distribution, theatrical release. Nick Searcy joins us right now. And uh, Nick, uh, it has been a long time coming in getting this movie to a place where the world is going to see this story. Uh, Before we get into the story itself, uh, exactly how long has it been? 
believe they started the crowdfunding campaign uh, in 2014, uh, and then we shot the movie in, uh, almost three years ago to the day. Uh, uh, in in uh, in uh, 2015 in Oklahoma City, so, so it, took a, it took a long time to get it all put together. Three but, years, probably the longest period was after it was done. It took two years to get distribution for it because uh, people have been afraid of this story from the time it happened all the way through the making of the movie. And the story is, I mean, I don't think I'm off base, and I would love to hear you kind of as as you saw it through your eyes and now share it with the world. Uh, Dr. Kermit Gosnell, serial murderer. I mean, serial killer. How else would you describe it, or how would you describe it? Yeah, I mean, he he was not. It's not. It's not a case of him just performing illegal abortions or breaking some rules. He was he was literally delivering babies and killing them after they were born. Um, so it's it's a gruesome, horrific story. But the way we, the story is told in the movie, it's it's about the it's about the uh, the cops and the uh, the attorneys convicting him, putting him putting him away. So it's a it's more of a thriller than it is a horror movie. But still tells uh, this story. Talking to Nick Searcy, uh, the actor, the award winning actor, and of course the director of Gosnell movie. Yes, Nick Searcy, S E A R C Y. Uh, on on Twitter, uh, it's Dean Kane. Uh, it's Alfonso Rachel, which I, I think people aren't aren't familiar with uh, as an actor and as a, as a talent and a and a voice on on uh, in a, in a lot of places talking about culture things, but a long time uh, voice. Uh, this movie was done because people rallied around it because media wouldn't talk about it. So now that you have distribution for the film, uh, is media talking to you about it? Have you been able to share what the story is to be able to get people interested in going to the theaters? Well, the the campaign is really going to begin in earnest in September. Um, yeah, I've had some preliminary, you know, people talking to me about it, and, and we have some things set up starting in September. But we're going to go be going around the country to different cities and doing advanced screenings and speaking before the movie and that kind of thing. So it's, it's going to be a real grassroots campaign, just like it's been from the beginning. We're going to have to go around the traditional ways of uh, promoting the movie, just like we had to go around the traditional ways of making a movie. <laughs> so when, when we talk about how people didn't want to have this story talked about, they didn't want to have this story uh, shared, uh, you describe that it's not just about abortions. It was about uh, post-birth. I mean, we're, we're talking about some horrible, awful uh, stuff. I'm always told that when it comes to media, these, these kinds of horror stories, that's what gets the clicks. That's what gets the eyeballs. That's what gets people watching. As you would describe it, Nick, wh why were wasn't media interested in the story? Well, I think uh, primarily I believe that there's two factors going on. One, the story is very disturbing, you know, and that was always the main excuse. It's just too, it's too disturbing to even print. But I don't think that's really the reason. I think the reason is that a lot of the left wing in the media was afraid that this story would harm or would help the pro-life movement. Uh, even though what this man did, I think we can all agree on both sides of this issue that what this man did was murder. It was not 
abortion. But I think they just were afraid that it would call attention to the issue and that uh, it would help the pro-life movement. And so they just tried to ignore it. Talking to Nick Searcy, uh, the actor and director uh, behind Gosnell Movie. Gosnell Movie on, on Twitter is, is where you find it. The story of uh, abortionist Dr. Kermit Gosnell uh, as a director. Now, this wasn't your directorial debut, right? No, but I've come a long way since I directed you in episode nine of Acting School with Nick Searcy. Well, that, that is true. That is true. And it was still one of, one of the highlights of my life being able to do that. Um, but uh, talk to me about how you saw this, because you've described it with, with, with detail. You describe it as beyond just uh, an, a, a story about abortion. It's, it's a story of murder. It is, it is a horror story, but you've created it almost as a thriller to be able to kind of get people to, to watch. Watch it. When when you first saw the story, what was it that made you say you can't present it in its gore? You have to present another. You have to present it in a different way. How did you come to that place? Well, you know, when I came aboard, the script was already written, and you know, we obviously worked on it to make it a shooting script. But the thing that I found most remarkable the script was that there was all this information in it that I didn't know, that I didn't know about the procedure, that I didn't know about the issue, about the laws surrounding uh, abortion. And that was what was fascinating to me, just in reading the script, was that everybody's talking about this issue all the time, and people know so little about how it actually is done and how it's regulated. And so that, that to me, I thought, we just need to put this out, put this forward in as straightforward a, 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 as possible, because this is information that people need to know. And I thought that anything that might drive people away was wrong, it, whether it was whether it was being too bloody, whether it was being too ideological, whether it was being too partisan or whatever. I thought anything that might drive a potential audience member away from getting this information, we have to get rid of. And I think we did a pretty good job of it. I think it's a, a very straightforward, it's like a really great episode of, of Law and Order. You know, it, it just, uh, it, it, it draws you into the chase and then it, it, it informs you about the issue and it, uh, it makes you happy at the end. Um, I'll just say that. I don't want to give away the ending, but <laughs> good. But it, it, it's a, it really is a very satisfying and very informative movie. I'm really proud of it. I think it, I think it turned out great, and I think we did what we set out to do with it, which is not to drive people away, but to bring people together. So that's what you set out to do with it, but you and I both know that when people hear a movie about Kermit Gosnell, there are going to be people who are going to want to defend it, and this is wrong, and this is an attack on, on, on reproductive rights. And have you already been encountering that level of backlash? Are you prepared for that? Is there a plan? Well, you know, I, I, I haven't had it yet. I think they're right now they're taking the same tactic toward the movie as they did towards the story, and they're just ignoring it and pretending it, pretending it doesn't exist right now. <laughs> but I'm sure that that's going to come, um, and I think that it's primarily going to come from people who haven't seen the movie and don't know really what we've done. So I, I think the, the, the way to combat that is just to get as many people out there to go see the movie as, as we can, and just uh, because when you see the movie, you will see that that's 
that we have not created uh, a partisan argument. We've, we've made a movie about a thing that really happened, and what you think about it is up to you. When is the uh, release date? Is there an official release date? October 12th is the day that it's coming out, but like I said, we're going to be traveling around the country starting in September, doing screenings in Houston and Dallas and Oklahoma City, where we shot the film, and North Carolina and Washington, D.C. We're going all around the country kind of campaigning. It's a campaign. <laughs> we're campaigning for people to come see the movie. Nick Searcy, uh, the actor, the director. Yes, Nick Searcy on Twitter is where you find him. I'm Glad you had the time, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to uh, do a sequel uh, to my to my uh, acting uh, anytime you like. That's right. Well, we'll we'll do that as soon as uh, as soon as I get done uh, helping this movie kind of take over the world. We'll we'll go back to acting school. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it, Nick Cersey. I appreciate you. I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz, Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. There are a lot of Senate races. You know, it may be possible that Democrats might take the House. It's possible. I'm not, I don't believe Blue Wave. You can't get me sold on concept of Blue Wave. And I don't care how many times I, I see this. Was this the Cook Report? More Republican seats at risk? I, I'm sorry. I'm not there. I, I have, there's nothing that helps me in terms of lying about it. Right. If, if I saw the real risk, I'd say so. It's possible for Democrats to take the House. Man, I think the Senate is going to be a Republican juggernaut based on what I'm looking at. You take a look at uh, the, the races that are possible. Wisconsin, Leah Vukmir winning the primary for the Republican. She's going to go up against Tammy Baldwin, who has a tremendous number of issues. You have Scott Walker, uh, who's running for his third term in his fourth election. And it is his fourth election because there was the whole recall conversation quite a few years back. You've got John James taking on Debbie Stabenow in, in Michigan. You have this young, black, retired Air Force. Uh, uh, I, oh gosh, I'm forgetting his rank. I feel so bad about that. Going up against this uh, establishment Democrat. Tammy Baldwin, also an establishment Democrat. In Indiana... Joe Donnelly going up against Mike Braun, and Mike Braun has been very successful in the I'm an outsider, I'm like Trump conversation. Very, very, very successful in tying Joe Donnelly, the Democrat, to Nancy Pelosi, to Chuck Schumer, to Bernie Sanders, and, and others. So uh, those are, are, are three races that could go to the Republican. They're all held by Democrats right now. Bill Nelson in Florida is one of those races. Right? And Rick Scott, who's the governor, who's running against him, he's doing well in this race. This one is going to be kind of fantastic because I think Democrats thought that they were they were good here. I thought they I never thought they thought that they would have an an issue here. And by the way, I just want to say for the record, going back to Indiana, uh, Trafalgar Group doing a poll, Donnelly 51, Braun 39. The, sorry, guys. The spread is I, – I live here. The spread is not plus 12 Donnelly. It's not it, – it's not. Uh, I, w- I said toss-up earlier. I say toss-up today. Absolutely not 
plus 12. You are kidding yourselves. Kidding yourselves if you want to go down that road. You sound you sound like crazy people. It just made me cough. It just made me cough. That, that's what that did. That is nuts. But this Florida race is fascinating. This Florida race is really and truly something else when you take a look at it. You take a look at the, the bit of polling that we have. Now, again, I don't believe any one poll. A couple polls might be able to tell you something. Polling gets things wrong extremely often. <laughs> For example, what, what, I'm all choked up. What's the matter with me? Hold on. I need to have more of the beer. Hold on. Oh, that's the Sam Adams right there. That's the Sam 76. Not sponsors of the show, although they should be. Um, it, it, by the way, it's the, the story with Sam Adams is that uh, Jim Cook, the founder of Sam Adams had a meeting with President Trump and a couple other people, and he was talking about how valuable the, ta- the tax cuts are to helping the business be successful and grow, and and it's great, and now they can really compete. And the leftists of Massachusetts are so upset. The mayors of some town, at least one mayor, if not other mayors and others, are saying they'll never drink Sam Adams again. They're never going to drink Sam Adams again because of a tax cut that's helping the company. So I say drink up, hold on. Mm. Oh, it tastes like freedom is what it is. So here are the polls in, in Florida, right? July. So going back to uh, July 13th, you've got uh, 1,840 likely voters with a margin of error of 2.3, Nelson plus four. Okay, that would put Nelson a little bit ahead. Then you've got uh, likely vote registered voters, registered voters. Florida Atlantic University, July 20th, 21st, margin of error 3.4, Scott plus four. Okay, and less slightly ahead would be Scott. Then you've got Mason Dixon, uh, July 24th, 25th, 625 likely voters, margin of error of four, Scott plus three. So push. There's a real race going on uh, in Florida. If you look at the overall from May to July, May 25th to July 25th, according to Real Clear Politics, you have Scott up 1.2. But again, that is a push race, and that's where a lot of these races are. That's where a lot of these races are. So there's a... There's an opportunity uh, for Republicans, uh, a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. Now, remember, it's Republicans. Republicans are the party of stupid. These people, these people can lose anything. They can grab uh, a defeat out of the jaws of victory uh, any single time that they want. They're just that good at it. Just that good at it. Uh, I'm not sure how it's going to all work out. But right now, as I see it, I Democrats can absolutely win the House. Absolutely. I don't see any chance for them in the Senate. I see Republicans having a great, great opportunity there. That's going on right now. Uh, then, of course, there is the story of the pooper intendant. I have told more stories about poop today than I ever thought possible. I should actually do a mommy blog. That's how much poop I'm talking about uh, today. Uh, in New Jersey... Uh, there is a guy by the name of Thomas Tramaglini, T-R-A-M-A-G-L-I-N-I, Tramaglini, 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 that's what we'll, we'll, we'll call him. He is the superintendent, or was the superintendent of the Kenilworth Public Schools. Kenilworth is a little more to the north. He lived more central Jersey uh, because he would find himself running, you know, staying in shape in Homedale, Homedale High School. True, uh, full disclosure, I grew up next to Homedale. That's where I grew up, in Middletown, New Jersey. That's where I grew up, right? I was right on the border. I was right 
on uh, the the border there. Uh, I'm not going to say say where. I'll, I'll do that another time. And so he w- he would go running, right? He'd go running, and then he'd have find himself. Ooh, I have to I have to use the facilities. Oh, there are no facilities. That's okay. I will just poop on the track. I will just take a a dump right on the track. And he did this more than once, right? He did this like like often. Like this was his thing. And so there was like this. It was the mystery pooper. And people dated. People didn't know who it was. People weren't sure who who was doing this. It was it was crazy to them. Who's doing this? Who's taking the? Who's doing this to our track? We're gonna have to set up a sting operation. Maybe some cameras. They caught him in the act after they set up the surveillance cameras. He has now resigned. And in the resignation. Right? He's stepping away. He's he's embarrassed. He's ashamed. He gets his full salary through the end of September in addition to two months severance pay and $23,827 in unused vacations. He pooped on a track. He crapped on a track. He's walking away with over $100,000. Guys, guys, that's got to be a clause in a contract somewhere. You crap on a track, you get nothing. You just go. You crap on a track, a track. You might as well just keep on running. Just keep on running. Make it a make it a make it a long distance run. You should just leave. Hundred thousand dollars. That's like a story that could only be in Jersey. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.